Good evening, Sportzonians. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I am Mike Aglialoro. I am your host for this is Sports Zone. Recording with you live like we do each and every week here via the I-95 Sports and Entertainment Radio Network. And of course, we are rebroadcast, redistributed through all our various podcasting outlets. So we thank you for joining us no matter how you join us, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Bullhorn. Rate, like, share, subscribe, do all the things Thank you once again for listening, and we got a good show for you tonight. We will be joined by Dave Hastings in a matter of moments here. Unfortunately, um, no Eric Pfeiffer, no Larry Schmelrose tonight. Uh, We had to change recording nights again this week. Uh, As I mentioned uh, a few weeks back, um, I'm, I'm getting on a plane for the first time since I was five years old. I'm going to Arizona. Uh, for my uh, brother's groomsman party should be uh, a lot of fun I can't believe it's only like a day and a half away that's crazy to me but regardless of that we have a lot to talk about tonight Um, like I said Dave's going to be coming out we got NFL draft to talk about we have playoffs to talk about the reason why this is probably not going to be a long episode uh, is because Tonight, as we talk, it is 6.30, um, and the Devils and the Rangers are playing in Game 7 of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Um, so that's obviously a a big deal to Mr. Pfeiffer uh, and Larry Schmelrose, now that I think about that. Um, Everybody's got things going on, but we're still going to have a good time. We're still going to have a show, Um, so we're going to do that. As we wait for Dave, I'm going to talk some Mets here. Um, I've been trying to do this to start off the show the last few weeks, but my timing is impeccable. Um, So this was another um, blah week, let's be honest, in in the world of the Mets here. Um, I've talked about the problems with the offense not getting going. Uh, the starting pitching is in shambles. I mentioned last week, Max Scherzer uh, still suspended. His suspension, I believe, ends tomorrow, though. So he's he's going to be back. Justin Verlander is also supposed to make his first start this year. And thank God they are coming back because right now the Mets still don't want to pitch Kodai Senga on regular – four days of rest, five days in between starts, like, you know, American starters have done. He, of course, is coming on from the, uh, coming over from the Japanese leagues where they only pitch one day a week. So I I don't have a problem with them giving him an extra day of rest this early in the season, as much as we're in shambles. No, no, he's the only one who's, who hasn't really had any problems other than the normal growing pains you would expect of someone coming to the big leagues for the first time. I, I don't, I, I don't want any issues with Sanga. So if this is what they feel they need to do to make him last for the season, I, I, it's a day. It's fine. He's pitching on Saturday. Joey Lucchese is starting in there. David Peterson is not going to be in the rotation for the foreseeable future. Um, he, 
He is what he is, folks. That's all that he is. Tyler McGill, you can kind of say the same thing about, but we haven't had as much exposure to McGill before injuries as we have had David Peterson the last three years. So I like Peterson and everything. Uh, unfortunately, he, he had his opportunity and uh, that went by the wayside. So the rotation we're going to have once Scherzer and Verlander are activated this week is the two of them with Senga, Joey Lucchese, and Tyler McGill. Ugh. And Carrasco's hurt. We don't know when he's coming back. Quintana, like, like I said, put him on, on a milk carton. So there's that. And this offense still is not fully awake. And right right now, you know, you can't even say, oh, cut this one. Oh, play this one. Right now, it's the, the entire lineup outside of uh, Brendan Nomo has been good. McNeil has turned it on the last couple of weeks. Uh, Alfonso, uh, Alonzo, you thought he was starting to get going. He He's regressed the last week, I would say. Even though I believe he had a home run today. And uh, today, we're in the second game of a doubleheader right now uh, against the Braves. The Mets are trailing 3-2. to two. They lost the first game 9-8. to eight. Um, So there's that. Come on. I hit the button. There we go. All right, so he's coming on here, but we will t- because we're going to talk about all that later. Though, uh, right now, come on, Dave. I'm we're waiting for your audio to kick in, buddy. Oh, there it is. All right, cool. We'll get back to what I was talking about later, though, because right now, ladies and gentlemen, Dave Hastings is with us tonight. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Mike. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. All right. So we're going to try to get everything in here quickly. Um, Apologies if you were in the waiting room long. My fault on that. No, I just hopped in. Oh, cool. All right. Sweet. So we will get... NFL draft out of the way very quickly here. I feel like we'll get into this more next week when um, Fife and Schmelrose come back. Um, what were your overall impressions of the NFL, 2022 NFL draft? 2023. Wow. Okay. Uh, I mean, overall, I was surprised that uh, Levis uh, fell into the second round, the way people were hyping him up. I was proud of the Texans for actually making moves and doing things to actually improve their team, trading up to the number three pick as well, mm-hmm. um, and actually using a pick on a quarterback. Um, the Eagles. Was, once, uh, oh, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. I was going to I was just going to say that was probably the craziest thing of the first round what the Texans were able to do. Yeah, I think a lot of people expected them to half-ass it again like they have been, but... Yeah, right uh, on. Yeah, so, I mean, that was nice to see. The Eagles, once again, had a great draft weekend between their two first-round picks, the players from Georgia, Mm. and then being able to trade for DeAndre Swift uh, from Detroit after Detroit surprised everybody and took a running back with, I think it was, like, the number six or number eight pick. Um. So that definitely was a, a big surprise. Um, so the Eagles once again come out of this weekend looking like probably 
one of the best, probably one of the teams that had the best weekends out there. Um, I was happy with Dallas's first round pick. One of their biggest issues was literally the fact that they couldn't stuff the run up the middle. Um, plus dealing with the rugby style quarterback sneaks of the Philadelphia Eagles. So, um, you know, yeah. I, had no, I had no problem with that pick. I, I would have liked to seen them add some more speed and talent on the offensive end. Um, though they did um, draft the running back uh, in the sixth round, which was a beautiful story uh, because their assistant director of college scouting um is the dad of the player that they picked so they actually let the dad make the phone call um and you could just see the emotion in his face and and what it meant to him to be able to make that call and have his son get Mm -hmm. drafted but also by the team he works for um i saw that yeah i saw that video that video was pretty cool but uh yeah i mean off top of my head those are probably the top stories and Mm -hmm. that really stuck out to me at least yeah, well, let's stick with those for a little bit because I totally agree with you. The Houston one we'll get into, but the Detroit one, I that's the that was the head scratcher for me because how many times have we talked about Detroit on this show over the last six or seven months saying if they continue to draft well, they're going to be a playoff team. They have a wide open field. No, the Packers are not going to be competing. The Bears are not going to be competing. It's them and the Vikings, and we've seen what the Vikings can do. And then. In this draft, they pick a running back and an inside linebacker with their two first-round draft picks, which I'm torn on this because we've seen it before where uh, a team does something and you hear everyone go, well, they were only blah, blah, blah on my big board and everything. And we've seen it work out for those teams, you know, as much as there have been disappointments. Seahawks come to mind when they picked Bruce Irvin and Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson in their first three rounds. The Cowboys with Travis Fredericks and how the Smith guy turned out uh, last year. We've seen it happen before, but I'm not confident in what Detroit took in their first round. <laughs> yeah, and I think you have, you have every right to be, especially the mm-hmm. running back. I just think we've all... You know, Atlanta ta- Atlanta taking the kid out of Texas, which, you know, I think also was a little bit of a shock to a lot of people yeah. in, the, in the top 10. So, you know, two running backs going in the top 10 is, is not something you expected to see. And, and considering how much we talk about, um, you know, the devaluation of the running back position. And, and you know, when you're taking a guy in the top 10, you're, you're hoping that he not only plays out, his rookie deal, you're hoping you, you take the fifth-year option and then you're hoping that you're giving him a second contract after that. that that's when you know you nailed the first-round pick. So, um, you know, that that's not something you expect to see from running backs, maybe picking up the fifth-year option. But outside of that, I don't – you know, we don't really picture second contracts from the team that drafted them. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, both were surprising, but both players are – guys that you can plug in and play week one, right? So that's that's where you kind of got to balance out what matters more to you. So um, Detroit wants to run the ball. They want to be a run-heavy team. They want – Jared Goff plays his best off of play action and and being able to, you know, sit back there and take his time. Um, and that's, you know, if taking a running back fits that philosophy and in a linebacker position, you, you want to be able to play good defense. So – who knows? Like you said, I mean, really, you can't judge a draft until you get about three years after that draft class. Yeah. So, 
mm-hmm. uh, for every all 32 teams that took players this weekend. You're not going to know how well they did this draft until mm-hmm. we're two or three years away. So, uh, but for the time being, yeah, th- those are probably the main things that really stuck out to me about this weekend. Mm-hmm. And they were able to trade DeAndre Swift. They traded him to Philadelphia for a fourth rounder in next year's draft, I believe. So if this is what they feel like they had, they had the needs for, all right, fine. I think you and me have both gotten used to a um, best available as opposed to going for needs. So we'll see how that works out. The Houston one, I'll go back to that real quick because we were talking on this show about how Houston could screw this draft up. And, you know, I was advocating for a quarterback. Uh, by that time last week, we were recording then. It had already been out that maybe they were looking at a defensive player and they were able to get both. They gave up a lot for that third round, uh, for that third overall pick. But if these two guys are franchise caliber players, I don't know, man. I think that makes it a little easier to swallow. Well, yeah, again, that, that's your idea, right? You're, you're hoping that C.J. Stroud works out and he's your franchise quarterback. You're hoping the kid out of, I think it was Alabama, the yeah. pass rusher that they, they elect uh, drafted. You're hoping, you know. Anderson. They, yeah, you, you, if you end up with a, a 10-year pass rusher and a 15-year quarterback, nobody's going to give two shits about what you gave up to get those guys. So that that's basically what they're hoping for and, and – Again, when it, when it comes down to the draft, we're not going to know for a couple of years. But mm-hmm. uh, for splash, for splash uh, headlines and, and, you know, trying to show your fans and people you're taking it seriously, I, I don't know if, if Houston could have did anything better than what they did. Yep. And I will say this. I agreed with what you said. I thought the Cowboys, decent overall draft. Um, you got what you wanted. They didn't take a tight end in the first round. They took it in the second so hopefully the Schumacher guy is good, heavy on the Michigan players. Um, I think we can both admit, though, we're a little pissed off at the fact that Philadelphia was able to get both Nolan Smith and um, the guy at 10. I can't uh, – what, uh, what's his name? Uh, he's, um, a, he's a D tackle from Georgia. He was the guy that was involved with, like, the car accident where somebody died. And Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got his name, Jalen Carter. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that they were able to pull those two off, I hate it because it's Philadelphia. I should say I strongly dislike it because it's Philadelphia. But that was a good move on their part, getting those two in terms of value picks. Uh, 100%. I I don't Mm – again, I I really don't know – I don't know if anybody came out of this weekend feeling better than the Philadelphia Eagles. (laughs) Sure. Uh, all right i feel like we'll get back into this next week uh when uh fife's able to be here so we'll move on here basketball wise we saw game one uh between the knicks and the heat yesterday um still crazy to say knicks and heat are playing in the conference semifinals in 2023 but here we are um heat win that game uh, tonight, you got Philadelphia starting their series against Boston. Embiid has been ruled out for game one. And in the late game tomorrow, uh, Phoenix and Denver. And then what? what is the next series? I know um, Lakers are going on. They Lakers, beat, Lakers get, beat the Kings. Le- Warriors. Yeah, you get, you, get LeBron, you get LeBron against Steph Curry again for the first time. <laughs> 
14. Um, uh, you had a great series between Sacramento um, and, and Golden State. And, and I, I just think experience was the biggest factor. Uh, Sacramento kind of collapsed under the, the pressure of that game seven as that game wore on. Um, but, you know, Miami uh, takes game one against the Knicks, but Jimmy Butler hurts his ankle. And, and now you don't know if he'll be able to play in game two or when he'll be able to play again. Um, that's a big, big, big question mark. And it basically, to me, will determine if the uh, Knicks or Heat are going to come away with the series win. Um, so that, to me, is really kind of – a huge that that's probably the most important thing that you're going to see. So mm. I think overall, you, you got to hope if you're a Heat fan that you know if he does have to miss a game, it's only one game. Um, but if you're the Knicks, you had a they were up by as much as 11 or 14, so they were playing well. And Miami adjusted defensively and, and really forced the Knicks to to have their other players make plays and, and get the ball out of Brunson's hands and, and taking advantage of Randall not playing. Um, so it's going to be on Thibodeau and the Knicks to adjust to that as well. Um, so, you know, that series to me is far from over. Um, Golden State, LeBron and Steph Curry going at it again, uh, this time in the Western Conference semifinals. And so the NBA finals uh, should make for a really good series. Denver and and uh, Phoenix uh, should make for a really good series because Phoenix really doesn't have anybody that can actually match up one-on-one with Jokic. Um, meanwhile, Denver has some really good perimeter defensive players that can, you know, give Durant and, and Booker some stress. Can't stop them, but, you know, like, like they used to say about Jordan, you're not trying to stop him, you're just trying to slow him down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's basically what they're trying to do and then try to keep up. And I mean, it was, it was a tight game all the way through in game one, but Phoenix managed to pull it out. Um, Philly, if they, Philly ironically tends to play better without Embiid. So that's going to be interesting to see um, if Maxi and Harden can step up and fill his shoes. Um, but I saw some highlights of the games they played this year against each other. Not one game was, was won by more than I think seven points. Um, and I think that game was due to just back and forth free throws. So, um, that should overall be a really entertaining series. Um, and you know, there's a good chance the team that comes out of that series, if healthy, because that seems to be the biggest issue right now in the playoffs, um, if the winner of that series comes out healthy, they'll most likely re- represent the Eastern Conference. Um, while I think whatever team comes out of Phoenix and Denver will represent the Western Conference. So, um, but yeah, I mean, health is key right now. That seems to be the biggest issue the NBA playoffs are dealing with. And uh, it's not something you can control. Uh, this isn't the time of year for load management. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how all that unfolds and, and you know, how, how things uh, break, break down for the, for the remainder of the playoffs. Absolutely. So you kind of already hinted at it. You think the Celtics come out of the East. Who do you think comes out of the West? Um, I, I think it's going to be Phoenix. Okay. I mean, just offensively, I don't know how you can keep up with them. And they have size and length to make things on defense and annoying. 
they're not a great <laughs> defensive team, but they have enough there that they should be able to outscore their opponents more than more than they can. Mm. It'll just be interesting to see if Paul, KD, and Booker are able to take them there. But that that'll be crazy. The what? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Again, it's it's all everything on both in both conferences is going to boil down to who's who can stay healthy. <laughs> Very true. Yep. All right. Um, with that, I know you don't have a lot of time with us here tonight. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up? Uh, I mean, I, I am nowhere near the guru of hockey that Schmelrose is. Mm-hmm. But these series have been amazing. And the big one, and I really can't wait to get his two cents, is that um, a 13-year streak, while it became 13 years this year, continues in the NHL, where the team that gets the most points in the regular season doesn't make it or win the Stanley Cup. Um, But what adds on top of that is that the Boston Bruins – not only had the most points this year, but they set the NHL record for most points in a regular season and proceeded to be eliminated by the eight seed Florida Panthers uh, in the set in seven games in the first round. And to me, that's like the 73 and nine um, Warriors not winning the finals. At least they made it. Um, that's like the 17 and 0 or 16 and 0 Patriots losing in the Super Bowl, but at least they made it. Um, like that, that's as a fan, the level of disappointment you must feel after you watch an entire season of your team being the best team out there, uh, to not even make it to the finals, let alone lose in the finals. Um, that's just gotta be heartbreaking. Um, I'll never feel bad for any sports fandom because we all suffer. Uh, mm-hmm. we, all, we all go through what we go through and, and you know, have had numerous emotions go through us while watching our teams play and lose and win and everything else that can happen in a, in a sporting event. But that is just dreadfully brutal um, and, and something that that's that's going to hurt that team and that fandom for, for a couple weeks, that's not going to be something you're moving on from in a day or two. Mm. Yeah. That one was a bad one yesterday. I don't really have too much more to throw in on that, but yeah, that streak continues. Um, Toronto was able to snap their lose um, their winless streak in the playoffs. They get past Tampa Bay um, there was another given game seven in there too. I think um, Seattle sent Colorado home. So yeah, a lot of stuff. And then you got game seven tonight between the Rangers and the devils. So you're a devil fan, right? Yep. Okay. Well, that's the Jersey thing. Yeah. I mean, I've said this to you before. If I had to, if I had to pick a team, it would be the Rangers, but we all know, me on that one. What are you looking for the game uh, in terms of the game tonight? I mean, honestly, to me, it is it, it, you're kind of looking at something very similar between what we talked about earlier with Golden State and, and Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were going to have an experienced squad that uh, faced elimination two different rounds last year and 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 still made it deep into the playoffs uh, as as well as the 
uh, veterans that they traded for that have playoff experience uh, going against a very young team uh, with not a lot of experience. Uh, their goalie, uh, Schmid, that they subbed in after the first two losses and played lights out in games three and four in, in uh, Madison Square, um, he got torn apart. Uh, in game six, he gave up one goal uh, towards the end of the first period and it just steamrolled from there. Mm. Um, now, some of it were was mistakes uh, being made uh, by the guys playing in front of him. Uh, and some of them were him just not making the right play um, and, or being a touch slow. And that's, you know, and it's going to be interesting from my understanding, the Devils plan on starting him again. Uh, they did take him out of the game. Uh, once it became five to one. Um, but from my understanding, that was more for him to just get out of there before things got worse. Um, and they're going to keep their faith in him and, and put him in that tonight to start though. I'll have to guess he'll be on a short leash. So yeah, you're, you're going to get a really, uh, like I said, a young, a young team with a lack of experience versus a veteran team with experience. Um, and you know, a game seven in your home ice, you'd like to hope you can pull that off, but I don't know. I feel like a lot of times being on the road, uh, being on the road is better than being at home when you're the young team and, and your backs against the wall. Um, cause you don't have to listen to the boo birds. And, and if you are hearing them on the road, you're a pretty happy kid. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's that, that to me adds a little more pressure on them. Um, even though you'd like to think it can help. But it'll be interesting. Uh, it should be a good game. I mean, when the Rangers win, they're scoring five goals. Um, when the Devils win, uh, they're basically scoring two goals, and then you know, the, uh, one of two of their other goals out of the six that they scored in the games, or or the seven they scored in the two games that they won, um, or in the two games that they won in a row, I should say. Um, they gave they don't like two of them were empty net goals so like goals that they've like they're still being outscored by the rangers pretty drastically even though it's three three so um it's going to be if if it's a close tight game the devil's got a hell of a shot but if the rangers get rolling their their goaltender is too good and too experienced um to, to give up four or five goals in, in a single game uh that his team's also giving him that type of goal support Yep. I hear you on that. Uh, All right. You know, I, it should be a, a good game tonight. It'll be interesting to see who wins. We'll just see. The fact that they were able to push a game seven out of this, that's good on the Devils. I know that's the one that um, Schmelrose has favored the entire time. We will see what happens here. All right. Um, with that, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up? Uh, no, I'm good, my friend. Sorry right. for the short visit. No, nah, I mean, it is, it is what it is on that. I, I wish I could do the show tomorrow, but I'm staying over with my brother, so I'm not going to be able to do that. So, uh, I wasn't uh, expecting a game seven when we were uh, Tuesday of last week. So, Yeah, I mean, that's my luck. That's just the way it is. So can't do anything about that. All right. Um, it could be worse. Yeah, it could. It could. Um, I'm going to go for a little while uh, when you get out of here. So I'm going to let you out of here tonight. Thank you, Dave Hastings, for being with us. 
Any final thoughts, my friend? To a full show next week. And may you have a great, great time in Arizona and a and, uh, great time at the uh, wedding. Or wait, it's a bachelor party or wedding? Which one is it? I guess you could call it a groom's party. I don't know that it's actually a bachelor party. But yeah, the actual wedding isn't until November. All right. Well, you go let, let, go let loose. Have yourself some fun. You deserve it. You work your ass off. So go let loose. <laughs> I'm all right. Thanks, man. That's what everybody keeps telling me. I'm hoping I get to do that. It'd be nice. I hope you do too, bud. <laughs> All right. Dave Hastings, thanks a lot, brother. We'll talk to you next week, my friend. All right, my man. Catch you next week. Yep. Have a good one. All right. That was Dave Hastings here. Um, I am probably not going to go too much longer, but I, I do want to finish uh, talking about the Mets because I haven't had too much of a chance to really say everything. Like I said earlier, the um, – Pitching has been exposed for what it is. This is why going for the guys with a lot of options is nice and everything when it comes to the bullpen. God damn, you need some people you can count on. And you can't, if you have an eight man bullpen, you can't look at having four or five guys under guaranteed money and just be like, oh, that's enough. We can just have the last three spots be fillers. Because if you do that, Guess what? If you got four or five really good relievers and one of them goes down and now all you've got behind it is just people on options. Now you got to now you got to put those people on options and fill a fourth spot. And it does not really work. A good bullpen, you should have five or six guys who you don't got to worry about. You don't got to think about. Mets did not do that this year, and that's why you get guys like John Curtis with two S's. Fucking Tommy Hunter. I like Tommy Hunter and everything, but it seems like he always pitches three games and then gets hurt. So there's that. Jeff Brigham, he got lit up earlier today. I saw that. So there's that. Um, And just we had a guy, Denny Reyes, was starting the first game of the doubleheader. So it's just, and I can, I can run down. Just look at the names on this. Joey Butts, Jose, Jose Buto is back up on the roster. And, you know, his first start wasn't terrible. He got creamed in the second start. The fact that this is what we have to rely on now. John Curtis, Tommy Hunter, like I said, um, I'm not going to, even mentioned the lefty who got called up because I'm not expecting him to be up too long. Zach Mukenheim. Steve, Steve Nagasek is back up. Um, and Jimmy Yacobonis. <laughs> this is the Mets bullpen right now. O- outside of Robertson and Adovino, I guess when I'm maternity leave or something, he's back now. And, and Drew Smith hasn't been great. And, I, and Brooks really went down over the weekend. So it's like, this is what we have to rely on. So that's the bullpen. And the lineup, I think I said this before Dave got on. The guys, uh, Nimmo and McNeil have been doing really good the last couple of weeks. Lindor, still not fully awake. Alonzo had that big week a couple of weeks back. Hasn't really done too much else since. I mean, I, like I said before, I think he hit his 11th home run earlier today. So it's like, that's great, but you, 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be down on Pete because he's, he's Pete Alonzo for Christ's sakes. That's the centerpiece of our team. It would just be really nice to have one more big bat who can do something other than home run. And Alonzo can do something other than hit a home run. He just hasn't done that much of it so far this season. Vogelbach has gotten going, which is nice. It is all about can Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez, you know, show the front office, show Buck that they deserve to be playing every day because we're seeing it especially out of Beatty. Beatty had a big game in the first game of the doubleheader. Um, he's one for three so far in the second game of the doubleheader. He's hitting 342 so far since he's been called back up. So he doesn't have a hangover. Um, they've been very reluctant to play them multiple games in a row, both Beatty and Alvarez. Beatty, I think, has gotten a little more of a leash simply because Eduardo Escobar has done nothing so far. And I think everybody realizes that he shouldn't be the starting third baseman right now. So Beatty's gotten a little more play. Alvarez, you can kind of see him starting to break out of it. And with the more time he gets, and in the second game of the doubleheader so far, he's two for three with two RBIs. He had a big double. I uh, believe it was, though, yeah, um, in the sixth inning. Um, the, the Mets had started off the game um, up to nothing. Then McGill gave up a double to Eddie Ro- uh, Rosario, which scored three runs. And then in the sixth inning, Francisco Alvarez, so far his biggest hit uh, as, as a major leaguer, um, hits a double that scores Canna and Vogelbach. And Jeff McNeil apparently just home run, not something you see every day. So the Mets are up five to three, which is nice. But anyway, you got they they have to start letting uh, Beatty and Alvarez play more than three days a week. Beatty, I think they're going to do it. I think he's now the everyday third baseman, and I do think you're going to see him start at third base minimum five days a week, which is what he needs. Alvarez needs the same thing, too. It is generally harder to play a catcher every day. Like, they're the ones who, you know, you don't play in the day game that you play after you played a night game, uh, things like that. But if he's starting four or five times a week and you only see Nito two or three, I think that's better for both of them. Nito, I think he's a backup catcher. And he'll give you some good stretches, but if you have to play him more than four or five times in a week, you're exposing what he really is. And what he really is is not an everyday starter in Major League Baseball. So those are the two biggest keys for the Mets right now, getting Beatty and Alvarez going and just hoping that, you know, Vogelbach is starting to wake up a little bit over the last week or so. Marte has not been the same player he was last season. Canna's not having the same effect he had last season. Maybe that's because he's playing every day now as opposed to last season where they considered him more of a platoon player. Don't know, but he's only hitting 216 so far on the season. Uh, Lindor is only hitting 215 on the season. Um, so, you know, this was the problem in 2021 and 2020 when they had an offense with guys who can get on base and everything, but that one big hit that scores everything, 
that was what was always missing from 2020 and 2021. It looked like they finally moved past that last season until we got to September. But that seems to have reared its ugly head again uh, in the early going here. Of course, we just finished April. Today is only May 1st, so it is still early. But you can't let a team like the Braves, who seemingly never lose, they are 19-9 and on the season so far. You can't let them get so ridiculously far ahead that you can't make it back up. Like, I, I, like again, the, the Braves did come back from 10 games down on June 1st against the Mets. And, yes, it took them all season to do it, but they did overtake it. So the idea that you get a lead that big this early in the season, it's insurmountable. There, There is no insurmountable this early in the season. At the same token, it is the Mets, so there is insurmountable still this early in the season. So it's really all there is to say about the Mets so far. Hopefully they hold on here uh, to win this game um, because that would make them 16 and 13 on the season. And that would only make them three and a half back so far. They do play the Tigers and the Rockies this week. Um, So they, they have the opportunity to beat up on some bad teams And then, you know, especially over the next, I'd say, week and a half here, because, okay, after this game with Atlanta, they they stay in City Field to take on Detroit for three games. Um, Or, excuse me, not in City Field. They go to Detroit to play three games against the Tigers. Then they come back home, and they play the Rockies over the weekend. And then beginning of next, they are on the road to play the Cincinnati Reds, and then next weekend they're in Washington to take on the Nationals. We should be able to look at this and say, all right, the Mets can beat up on some bad teams here. But, you know, when we came to air last week, San Francisco Giants had won the last two games of their series when the Mets were on the West Coast. They wound up losing the first two games they played against Washington last week. They had a four-game losing streak. They did salvage the final game last Thursday. And obviously the hope is, you know, Verlander and Scherzer are back. They are of um, a more than adequate level here. Did I say it like that? Because Scherzer was kind of not very good in his first couple starts. So if they can come back and at least pretend to be the guys that they have been their, their entire career, that obviously helps the idea of beating up on the bad teams because in the Washington series, the first game they pitched uh, Jose Buto and yeah, they did pitch Kodai Senga in that second game. Senga is allowed to have a bad game. All right. He's still getting used to major league pitching. So I'm I'm not going to be mad at Senga yet this early in the season when he's the only guy from what we originally thought was going to be the five-man rotation. He's the only guy who hasn't gone down yet. So I, I'm, I, I'm not being mad about that. But, like I said, Detroit, Colorado, Cincinnati, Washington, that is 13 games right there. Mets have the opportunity to make up some ground here and, you know, Get some easy wins here. It's just a question. Is the offense going to stay asleep? 
Is Scherzer and Verlander going to live up to some expectations? Is the bullpen going to settle the hell down? Now, in, in the bullpen's defense, you know, you, you have a lot of games when you're pitching, when you're starting rotation, guys are in there who are blowing it early and the arms are being used and everything. It, it was inevitable. Even the best bullpen, there's only so much they can handle. Sue, so, we're going to see how that one goes, but 13 games here against some bad teams. So hopefully they're able to hold on tonight. Hopefully they're able to do some damage in the standings over the next couple of weeks. So we got that. Um, I'm not really going to go too much more into the NFL draft than what we did earlier with Dave and same thing with the NHL and the NBA playoffs. We could talk more about, about that next week. I am going to bring up something real quick because we didn't get a chance to say it last week. Um, Mandalorian season three is in the books and I got to be honest. I don't really give a shit what other people are saying about it. I thought this was a really good season. I, I have a hard time grading like which season is better with a lot of shows over the last five years. Season one of the Mandalorian, really good. Season two, really good. Not quite as good as the first season, at least I thought. I don't know if I would put this season on par with the first season. Because I feel like there's, there was something about there's something about any first season of a show you really like, where you just can't bring yourself to say that later seasons are better than, than it, if it doesn't just outright blow you away. At least that's the way it is for me. I know I feel like that with Stranger Things and probably a couple other shows I'm forgetting about right now. But that first moment where it hits you of how great it is, it's just very hard to recapture that moment. And I think that's why a show like The Wire always resonates with me because I thought that show was just okay for the first couple of seasons. It wasn't until the fourth season where it really got fucking good. Um, so there's that. But I, I wanted to bring up Mandalorian a little bit tonight. Overall, I thought it was a very enjoyable ride. You know, we talk about, you know, entertain me and all that. And this show definitely did that. The third season or excuse me, the third episode of this past Mandalorian season. I hated that episode because Grogu and Bo-Katan and, and um, Din Djarin, they, they were only in about 10 minutes of that episode. And most of it was just a standalone story. And the episode that they did that in Stranger Things was an episode I didn't really like either. I just don't like when they cut away from the main story. Something like what they did in the third episode to me did not have to be a fully concentrated episode unto itself. Could have broken that up and just shown little snippets of it through the first three or four episodes and just kept with the main storyline because that's a side storyline anyway. But, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed seeing Grogu get into some action this season. I, I enjoyed Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan. I thought she was fantastic. Um, I, I I just loved um, seeing the Mandalorians in action for, I think it was like episodes four and five, seeing them uh, uh, fight in the various battles. I thought it was really good. And, and I know a lot of people had a problem with seasons uh, episode six. I, I, I got a kick out of episode six. That's the one where Lizzo and Jack black um, and, and uh, Christopher Lloyd 
guest starred on the show. I I, I just got out of kick. Uh, I just got a kick out of seeing the two of them as royalty, and Grogu got knighted. That was cool. I thought so. I, I had a good ride with that. I love the way they brought it home in episodes seven and eight. Uh, yeah, the biggest problem is that these episodes are too short. They they went long for them in episode seven. So of course episode eight's got to barely be a half hour. That that part's a problem, and hopefully they um, they 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 do something about the length. It, it'd be nice, but at this point we know they're not going to. So that's fine. But I, I really liked the way they they ended the season. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here on that. Um, I, I've heard talks throughout the season of them kind of switching it up. So the show is no longer about Din Djarin as the Mandalorian, because now you have the Mandalorians back together and Bo-Katan is the ruler again. Everything's right in that regard. The story is Din Djarin and Grogu. You should not be trying to move away from that. There's nothing wrong with having Bo-Katan and the main Mandalorians as a side story, just like Carl Weathers' character is a side story and he pops up every few times a season or whatever. You can have them be the side characters. This story is about Din Djarin and Grogu. What they do in terms of tying this to the other Star Wars sto- uh, shows, I feel like they have to walk a very fine line how they bring it in um, to the main overall story of star Wars. I think you really got to be careful about that because at the end of the day, we know none of these characters were in rise of Skywalker. We know none of these characters were in that sequel trilogy. So you can let your mind wander on that one. There's a good chance all these characters are dead before we get to chronologically and in Canon. Um, what should we call it? Um, the Force Awakens. And none of us want to believe it. And I think all of us kind of hope that it's not true. But at the end of the day, got these characters. Can a lot of, can, uh, in terms of canon. Okay. They're great characters. Now, now we know the reason why they weren't in The Force Awakens. is Because nobody had come up with them yet. Nobody had created the characters yet. All right, fair enough. But... Look at the way things are going in Force Awakens. There's a good chance if they're not fighting with the uh, rebellion, they're dead. So we will see how that goes. But overall, I thought they did a really good job in the third season. I'm interested to see what that Ahsoka Tan show is going to be, or Ahsoka Tano, excuse me. Uh, I like Rosaria Dawson normally, and I thought she was all right on uh, those episodes that she, she was in in season two of The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. So I will definitely uh, be watching that show. And I guess we'll start to see how everything ties together because obviously one of the movies they're going to make for Star Wars is kind of Dave, Filo- Dave Filoni in this era. That's, that's now what everything is going to be building towards is that movie. Whether it's going to wrap everything up or whether things are going to continue after that, don't know. I guess we will have to find out on that, but it'll be interesting because I really like what they've done with the Mandalorian so far, and I just hope they don't lose track of the fact that the show is about Din Djarin and Grogu, and you shouldn't 
try to make it about anything else. Their storyline. That's the most important one. That's the one that everybody cares about. Everything else, it, do it on a spinoff. Doesn't have to be on this show. If you really want, like, you know, the Mandalorians are going to be characters in this show. So we're going to see their storylines. But the most important one still needs to be the one with Din Djarin and Grogu. So, so far, they did a really good job, though. Like I said, really like the way it ended. All right. I think with that, we will get out of here for tonight. Thank you to everybody for listening to us on our various podcasting outlets, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Anchor, Bullhorn. Rate, like, share, subscribe, do all the things. And we'll get out of here for tonight. Thank you to Dave Hastings for being with us earlier. Um, Good luck to the Rangers. Good luck to the Devils. Uh, By the time... This gets put out. We will know who moved on to the semifinals in the Eastern Conference out of the Rangers and the Devils. We'll see. We will see what happens. Good luck there. Um, Apologies to anyone who is an inconvenience that we did the show on a Monday this week as opposed to normally. We do the show Tuesday night, put it on a Wednesday. Cannot be helped. Um, And I will see everybody next week when I get back from Arizona. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I am your host, Mike Aglialoro. We will see y'all next week.